Welcome to the Dead Format, episode 117. My name is Ian McEwen, and I'm joined tonight by the James White of our backfield, Thomas Smiley, and we're here to talk about legacy. Yeah, actually, I'm I'm James White. Two or three weeks, or two weeks ago, when he wasn't able to play, <laughs> I had to go to the orthopedist this week. I have physical therapy coming up. Man, I, I'm getting old. Ah, uh, what happened, old. bro? So I thought like my shoulder had been um, like really bothering me for the last month. Uh, like range of motion was starting to go. It was keeping me up at night and waking me up in the middle of the night. And it turns out I have a frozen shoulder. So I need to go. I need to like go to physical therapy, and I might have to have a steroid shot put in my arm. So we'll oh, see how that fuck? goes. That sounds serious, man. Yeah. So like something happened where I like jarred it, and the joint basically got like super inflamed. So the uh, the ball from the, my upper arm that hooks into my shoulder, that joint is just like stiff. So trying to move my right arm is just like it's uh, it's a pain. Wow. Damn, yep. Warcraft injuries, huh? Yeah, Warcraft or something else. I mean, that's like 40, <laughs> 40 years of right hand work. I was like, I was worried I tore something. Bro, the right hand is the mouse hand. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, you're right. But, yeah. dude, the the cold weather, though, definitely does have an effect like on, on the body. My, uh, my doctor had, this is so crazy, bro. When I went into the doctor in Cleveland, like my first doctor's appointment, we were talking mm-hmm. about like weight and stuff and, and like working out. And he was like, uh, do, do a push up. He just wanted, wanted me to do a push up in the doctor's office, which is kind of crazy, right? Yeah. But I did it and he's like, all right, next time I see you, I want, I want you to see, I want you to do 30 push ups. Your doctor is like already seeing you. Yeah, dude. I was like, it was like the most hands-on, like weird sort of Zen, New Age kind of doctor's appointment. It was really strange, but I yeah, I guess I guess that's where the voters from the Rust Belt are coming from. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, basically, what I'm trying to say is my shoulder doesn't work either. I've, okay. I've come to to okay. notice. But bro, we uh, we got some T-shirt designs from Matt. I wanted to say thank you. So those were amazing. Um, apparently, like floating through Instagram, he found the Dead Format Music Club slash the Dead Format Motorcycle Club in England. <laughs> and they had a bunch of beautiful designs for T-shirts. And uh, he sent them to us and they looked amazing. So I ended, up, uh, I ended up buying a few and they're on their way from England. Bro, they're really sick, honestly. They are like, they are like professionally done they look amazing, and uh, I can't wait to like wear them and pretend like they're ours. Same, yeah, for sure. So we put out the call for li- for uh, guests for our listeners to recommend guests to us, and I don't know about the feedback that you've seen. Uh, actually, have you seen any feedback? I did. There were a bunch of people who were tagging you on Discord. Oh, I probably missed that. <laughs> what did they say? Did you see? I'm just I'm gonna wait for you to rejoin Discord. Alright. Well, I had I think six total people reach out to me. A few people via email, a few people via messenger. But surprisingly, this was really surprising. The top vote getter in the people who responded to me was actually our boy, James Shue. Back for number four? Is it, or is it number five now? I believe it's number three, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, okay. James, what do you think? 
You know, I lost count. First of all, I have to I have to say like no, I'm not trying to not trying to be uh what's the word? braggadocious, is that a word? About that. That is but, a word, yeah. Um I I just had so much fun every single time. I know that I had that one solo episode with Tom when Ian you were not around and mm-hmm. that's that was the most memorable one for me quite honestly cuz the last one we did it was pretty pretty bad on my part. I was just whining about how bad I am at magic and and how I started playing magic online and uh all that kind of stuff but I, I think 4 is right. Yeah, sorry, that was a very long answer. Yeah, I think that was a great episode though, man. I I remember listening to that one and being really impressed. And you know, I think that, that part of that is probably that you're a podcaster and you bring that sort of professionalism to the to the endeavor, you know, it's not like uh touch and go with the audio or anything like that. Like you understand audacity, but I think, you know, we have some discerning listeners. I expected when we asked for guest recommendations, you know, we would get the uh we get the usual like uh LeBron James uh, Reed Duke, Rich Shea, everybody just Saffron, you should really get Reed Duke on Saffron Olive. Actually, this is probably like real guest requests that James gets pretty regularly. But uh, yeah, I guess our listeners are uh, pretty discerning, and they uh, they really wanted a guest with an IQ over one thirty five point four. So <laughs> they, uh, they they reached for James. They reached top shelf. Get that James shoe. Yeah, so just just random reference. I took an IQ test for the first time in my <laughs> life yesterday from some shady online site that my friend referred me to. And now I'm just walking around thinking that I'm a genius, even though I there don't believe that to be the case. So. In reality, they just milked you for like the $12 certificate. They're exactly. <laughs> exactly. But I do want you guys to take the test later. Just let me know, you know your scores in, in private so I can, you know, I've taken it. I've taken IQ tests twice, like legitimate ones, like uh, all day long ones. Do you have to take one to become a libertarian? They're like, listen, <laughs> you need to win like twelve Twitter arguments while you're, def- and then you need to take an IQ test, and then you can finally become a libertarian. Bro, it's a bad day for libertarians today. I don't know. I don't, I don't think we should get into this right now. We should save this for the end of the episode. But okay. Some black pills flowing at the uh, Libertarian Pharmacy. But yeah, we got James here, obviously. We're, we're hella excited for this. It's a perfect time of year, perfect weather. Hitting the golf balls well. And dude, this episode feels to me like the first episode in like two months, three months maybe, that we've actually had a reason to record. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like the other ones felt like we, it's just we needed to keep in our routine of recording every week, even though we weren't super excited about the stuff that we had to talk about. We just like, we had to do it to keep momentum going. Yeah, like we're training for a marathon, you know, in in China and we mask up and we, we get up early in the morning and we go for a 13 mile run, right? Well, I mean, in China, it's probably better or quicker to get to work going on a 13 mile run than it is to go on a 13 mile drive. <laughs> trying to get trying to get to your to your job in the city i guess i don't know i've never been to china i have no idea yeah i guess we'll never know but yeah this was uh did the legacy community kind of feels like it has a purpose again right now there's like i listened to uh the legacy breakfast put out an episode this is the that that introduction they had 
Wait, no, sorry, that wasn't Legacy Breakfast. That was Canadian Threshold. Never yeah, mind. The, you you, the say, you say what you're going to say. Oh, no, I was going to say Legacy Breakfast put out an episode, and it wasn't the, – the underlying current of everything we're talking about is Eternal Weekend online happening this week, which feels like a big event. But Legacy Breakfast just happened to release an episode this week, and it popped up in my feed. And honestly, I thought that they disbanded. I didn't realize that was still a podcast. But the first, like, 10 minutes or so, I would say is better than anything that anyone in the Legacy community has put out in months. Like, they just have uh, – they still have that like 2015 legacy energy, man, and I, I was really so appreciative appreciative of it. Like I thought it was uh, I thought it was awesome, and yeah, DJ recommended that we check out the Canadian Threshold podcast, so I I got pumped up to that actually right before we started, man. Zombies always been like a pump up song for me. <laughs> yep, I remember they uh, they uh, chastised me for going back to World of Warcraft Classic, but I listened to their intro. Um, and it was it was awesome this week. I'll have to listen to Legacy Breakfast because I didn't um, I didn't catch that episode. I took most of the podcasts off my phone um, because I'm not really commuting anywhere. So uh, so I, I just don't have anything that's downloaded except for of course Humans of Magic. Yeah, Humans of Magic, of course. Yeah, no, but check it out, man. Those Anglo's are crazy, and uh, it was an enjoyable experience, I'd say. But. Yeah, the the threshold po- the guys. I don't know those guys at all, but uh James, you do, right? Yeah. I I run with them <laughs> back home in Vancouver, Canada. Uh as we mentioned before, we're very Canadian. We have a we have a Slack chat for uh MTG oh, yeah, that's right. Legacy. And uh Quinn who does the the music for every episode. He's just a really uh really fun guy, uh big infect lover and uh They've been just shout out to Canadian Threshold. They've actually been streaming a little bit this week because they got their god accounts and they're just been they just been having fun playing things oh, like nice. Divining Witch and punting on camera and that kind of stuff. So <laughs> Is Quinn Irish? Quinn is Japanese Canadian. So once again you are you are like over over two, I think. Oh for like predicting life, yeah. Oh for life. Like you think you think these uh okay so you you thought one person was asian who was white and then now you think one asian guy is white so i don't actually know which voice corresponds to quinn though to be fair i just i just know his song selections and i know like zombie like i I don't feel particularly irish but when i hear zombie bro it it, like my irish blood starts boiling and i'm just ready to (laughs) you know paint up my face and and head out to the fields to go to war yeah, well, he's a child of the '90s, as am I. So you know, that's it. Just goes with the whole the whole aesthetic. So yeah, 1890s maybe. That's uh, <laughs> that's that that's the Ireland thing going on. But yeah, so basically, you're talking about the God accounts, James. You have that's one right. right now, right? Yes, I have one that's completely unused because I just end up playing the same deck over and over and over again. Um, well, we can get into that later, but yeah, uh, I do have one. Yes. Yeah, so it's not I, it's not really like a full god account though, right? You don't get the Walking Dead cards. <laughs> no, I'm I'm serious. Like you have your god account. But that, you that's right. It was it was brought to folks' attention on Twitter where people were really desperate for those Walking Dead cards and playing Rick Grimes and all that kind of fun stuff. And uh, yeah, it's not to be, I guess. Bro, that sucks because I really kind of wanted to just show up at this Eternal Weekend event and just slap my Rick on the table, you know? 
Yeah, just play like just play humans and throw a couple copies of Rick in just just because. <laughs> I don't know why. Like, what's what's that fucking that calling? Like, what what makes me want to do that? Is it just that it's a new card or? Because I hate no, it's the because cards if so that much. card ends up being good, and you end up doing well with it, you can be like the asshole to talk about how bad it is that that card is good. Yeah, true. I think. I mean, it. it's it's legacy, right? Legacy is all about memes and wanting to do well with bad cards and bad decks. Uh, I speak from personal experience on that as well. So. Yeah, well, this is a perfect segue actually because. Obviously, we've got Eternal Weekend this weekend. We've had a few of these events, right? There's been, like, the Mana Traders event. There's been the Gen Con event online. And this time, you know, Eternal Weekend is Eternal Weekend, right? It, it has a little more prestige, a little more acclaim, I would say. There's, you know, the, the Watsi Prize, the, the painting. Do you even get a place. real painting, though? Or is it just like you get a digital card frame? I heard you got a real painting. Oh, Okay. Okay. I don't yeah, know. You, get, you get a real one. You get a real one. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what it is. Like whether it's a card or a painting. Like uh, just you know the art of a card, but it's definitely a real painting, and it'll probably fetch a few thousand dollars. So it's pretty cool. We've had we've we've gone over this before, so I didn't write down the numbers again. But obviously, we've seen Eternal Weekends in North America average over five hundred players over the past five years. They've expanded into Europe and Asia. They're generally, I'd say, a, a half step below a Grand Prix in terms of prestige because they are, you know, generally streamed with, you know, pretty average coverage, I would say. Sometimes sometimes better than others, but we've had some great champions in the past and some great metagames uh, develop around these events. And I feel like this time, actually... Even though it's online, it kind of feels the same to me. Like, there's a lot of buzz about it. Like, I had two people message me who haven't played Legacy in months who are actually going to play in this event and aren't Moto players. So, I don't know, man. I feel like there's going to be a ton of people. Uh, what do you guys think? I don't think it's even going to be close. Close to, uh, like, a North American EW Yeah, like you were, like, the average attendance was 500. I don't, yeah. I don't know if it's going to be close to 500. What do you think, James? Yeah, I think it's... Well, I mean, if you do the math... So, I don't know if you guys still play leagues, but, like, before this whole thing happened, we had, like, two to 300 regular active players on Legacy League. Yeah. And now I'm seeing, like, over 600 a day, right? Like, any time exactly. during the day. So, I think it's... And I think it's... I can... I, I would assume it's almost 100% because of the God accounts and wanting to play EW. So... I I don't think it's going to be 500, but I think it'll be... I mean, what, they're running, like, three events? I think every event will probably be uh, between two to 300, but may maybe just slightly yeah. below 500. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Was, I was just trying to, like, go off of what the challenges were. And I think yeah. the biggest challenges we saw were, like, 200 to 250. I think that's a really good estimate for how big these events are going to be. Yeah, like 190s to like 215, I recall, I think, maybe the biggest I remember. I think that we're going to see over 350 for sure, uh, you know, in the in the bigger of the event, not in the Friday night event. But James, how many events did you say there were? I believe there are three. So yeah, there's that's three thought, separate yeah. events and they all, the grand prize for each one is a painting for a different card. Okay. 
Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, you think about like, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say the the other thing that's interesting is that they seem to be just selling the tokens or the entrance uh, emissions in an unlimited way, right? Because someone was tweeting about that. I don't remember who it was. Uh, so I don't even know if the events are capped in any way. So just to be sure, I the event that I'm gonna play, I I just signed in. I already registered for it, and you know, oh, obviously, shit. If why I want, didn't I do that? Yeah, I mean, you could do it now. Uh, you can do it now. Um, yeah. So, but I I just don't want to run the risk of being closed off because I can only play in one specific time zone that's more China friendly. Whereas I think you guys have a lot more flexibility well i know i shouldn't say that because i mean everybody's busy so you know i, I don't think anyone can say like i'm gonna play all three events right so dude that's a great call actually i should do that because if it's like a challenge it's capped at 396 i believe the challenges are but i, I don't think it is because i feel like we would have heard something but i i think that that's the cap for challenges yeah so you know for folks listening or for for you guys i would recommend doing that obviously there's the the issue of not being able to change your deck list but i would rather just lock in something now than worry about that later you know would you be able to drop your registration and re-register with a different deck list or does it not like refund you the token or whatever oh it absolutely will refund you because that's just how moto works i believe but i just don't know if you drop out if you're going to be on a waiting list because it's capped so i i because i've never run into that in challenges or anything right so i, I couldn't say Same, for sure yeah yeah no i agree it's just interesting because like we have eternal weekend in paper let's say that it's in columbus and there's 500 players right this is like a pretty typical average of, of past years you have to have people travel to columbus you know obviously there's 25 or so percent locals but for most people you're driving or flying to columbus getting an airbnb you have to have this you know two three thousand dollar deck just to play and then you pay your event entries and you're talking about you know deck costs assume that you already have the cards you're talking about dropping thousands of or hundreds of dollars to play in this event right but that's the fun part right like the traveling and the actual going to the event well, it is if you can afford it, but I'm saying that there's some people certainly for the average EW who would love to play but are priced out. Maybe they can't afford a legacy deck. Maybe they can't afford to travel. Mm-hmm. Maybe they can't take a whole week and they have a, a baby at home. They could play eight hours online, but they they can't travel for a whole weekend to a tournament, something like that, right? So on one side of the ledger, it sucks because it's it's a moto event. You're sitting in your room for eight hours. But on the other side of the ledger, it's cheap and there's no card availability issues, right? You're absolutely right about that. So I, I don't think that it's necessarily going to have the same 500 people as Eternal Weekend would have. But I think that there are, are, are certain other peoples that it will draw that normally wouldn't be there, right? Yeah, I mean, just because of the global situation, too, I'm seeing a lot of non-legacy players just be like, I'm going to play EW this weekend because, you know, they're at home, right? As we, a lot of us are. So it's just like, you're going to see a lot of people that are just coming into legacy for the first time. And so in a in a weird way, it's almost like more purely legacy because like we always kind of want legacy to be this wild west of formats where anything can happen and i'm sure the best decks will still show up but you'll i'm sure you'll run into crab shack or (laughs) you know funky decks that you don't usually see just because there's no availability issue for those decks yeah that's crazy too like i was thinking about that 
you know, let's say that the optimal build of Cloud Post has a tabernacle on the sideboard. Like, if you're playing against Cloud Post at a at a Grand Prix, you you don't necessarily expect to see tabernacle. But if you're playing online, you're going to see it, right? So, especially in this event where there's literally no card availability issues, uh, that's something you have to consider, I think, with with deck building, right? And I was actually thinking about you, James, because I know you'd played Blue Red Delver online quite a bit, and I was wondering if like Rug Delver was your uh, your foray into the card availability issues. Uh, actually, so you mean you mean before EW that that is right? Like playing Blue Red, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, like I I just remember I think guess last time we talked to you on the podcast you were playing a lot of Blue Red Delver. Yeah, so I'm just a pure Delver. I don't is that the right word like specialist or f- fanboy? Like I just <laughs> I just enjoy playing the deck even though I'm sure it's very miserable to sit across from a Delver player a lot of the time. So I just always enjoy playing different builds of Delver and I was playing blue red a while back because I really wanted to play the whale, the forager and yeah. I I felt like I had this like thought that I could make Delver work even without Oko, but um, spoiler alert, after playing that deck and actually doing pretty well with it, I hit this weird downswing where I lost like 10 matches in a row, <laughs> and then I sort of thought, I'll play Rug Delver now with Oko, thank you very much, and I've been playing Rug Delver ever since. Uh, I took How a long one month, was that? I took one, a month, one month break from Magic Online in July. And so in September and October, I've basically just been playing Rug Delver. Gotcha. And your yeah. build is two Goyf, two Mandrills, right? That's right. I, I've i been trying for the longest time to not play Goyf because there's so many reasons, like theory and and, and other reasons why it's not needed slash bad, win more. Yeah. But I just enjoy, as Lawrence Harmon likes to say, like sometimes this deck just turns into legacy Jund, right? I I enjoy like just getting easier wins because of certain cards. And I think Goyf does that against a lot of matchups. And I'm sorry if we're getting too deep into this stuff already, but it's just sort of like I've come to internalize a lot of the philosophy that some of the smarter legacy players have been saying. And it just feels like, I'm finally starting to understand it. Like, for example, I was also way worse at using Oko as a card like three months ago than I was now. Because now I can think about the deck as more of a mid-range pile rather than a temple deck. So there's just all these kind of learnings in my own self-education that I've just... I've I've become more and more convinced that this is the the deck to to play if you want to do well in in a legacy event. So, yeah, there's no question it's a tier one deck right now. I mean, it's, it's so powerful. You have Oko, like you talked about. You have a, a two mana Jace the Mind Sculptor and Dreadhorde Arcanist, right? And it, it does feel more Jundy than ever, like this current build, in my estimation. It can play, you know, it can play long games with, with other mid range decks and win. Like, it does that pretty regularly. And I think Clothis is a, an amazing sideboard card that that rug is kind of always needed uh, there's just there's so many reasons to play it right now and i think that right now i would say it's probably my clubhouse favorite to play as well 
Yeah, I was just about to ask you guys. So, Ian, for you, Rug is on the top of your list then, it sounds like? Well, yeah, there's kind of like this this thing, and this is kind of what I was trying to get into next is, you know, what we're going to play, but also why we're going to play, right? And there's no Grand Prix in 2020, right? Obviously, there's no Legacy Grand Prix in 2020. So this is kind of the biggest Legacy event of the year, right? And I, I kind of have that feeling like this is the Grand Prix for 2020. Like, I I don't actually want to... If it were some throwaway event, I will be playing something stupid. You know, I'd be playing some new card I want to try, like Stoneblade with with Thieving Rogue from the new set, whatever that card is called. Uh, The one that steals artifacts, right? Like, I would would just want to be playing something novel. But this event particularly, I actually feel that sort of, uh, that prestige, that, that sort of competitive drive where I don't actually want to do cute shit like I usually do. I want to just play the best deck. And I think Rug, there's, there's so many arguments for it just being the best deck right now. And also, uh, I love your list specifically, James, because it just soothes my OCD. Like you have, instead of the, the split fetch lands, you actually have three, three, three within three Volks and three Trops, obviously. There's like this this very nice. Yeah, sort I'm, of I'm not messing with that shit of like playing around Pithinito like one in you know six thousand matches. I don't care about that. <laughs> yeah, but there's it's just like this smooth sort of, and there's like this regression of like four force of will, two force of negation, one spell pierce, and one chain lightning. It's like this very, uh, I don't know, man. It's just like puts my OCD at ease. It's just like a, an ASMR video for my for my OCD brain. Like the, I, the other really thing, the other the, the other thing I'm very proud of from day one of getting buying into Moto is old frame art for all the cards, man. I'm not like I know this is digital, but I'm not going with that new frame shit if I can help it. <laughs> I feel you, bro. And that was the worst part about Mana Traders is you had no control over the versions you got. So sometimes I'd be using the fucking bird force of wills. But. Yeah. It is it's funny nice. because now it's funny because now when you play against somebody at EW, you look at their all foil deck uh, online, and it's just like yeah. <laughs> these are the new players, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anybody who doesn't know already, you can you can pick the other versions. Those foil versions do show up at the top because they're sorted by rarity, and those are like you know the the promotional cards or whatever the masterpieces are called, but. Yeah, yeah, you can pick the good versions, the real versions. Yeah, ma- Magic players are lazy. News at 11. Yeah, just, oh God, I hate the foil cards online so much. But yeah, so I made like a little tier list going into this event. I, I didn't do like a sideboard guide as serious as if I were going to a GP, but. Oh, I'm my... sorry. I, I, need to, I need to interrupt you here, Yin. So, yeah. uh, wh- Tom, what would you play? Like, I'm not sure if you're playing, but if you played, what would you play? So I'm, I absolutely wasn't even thinking about playing in it just because of my availability for the weekend. Um, but looking at the schedule, I found out that it's capped. It's capped at 672 players. Oh, so I looked, up, I looked up the event page that had the prizes and start times and everything. Um, so I, I don't think I can play in the Friday tournament, even though it starts at 5 o'clock. Sundays, I'm usually busy with the family. And I think the only the only other one is Saturday at three in the morning for me, and I don't think I don't think that's going to be reasonable. Um, but if I was going to play, 
I would probably just try to talk to somebody and find the um, like the most tuned list of Rug Delver that I could find. Uh, because that seems like the most similar deck in the meta right now to what I used to play. So um, so I would probably hop on that bandwagon too. Um, obviously, like I could absolutely see myself trying to play Death and Taxes um, or, or Infect or another deck that I played in the past. But uh, I think that I would try to play Rug Delver. Yeah. Yeah, good save, James. I, I was about to hop right over that. But they're, they're basically the tier list that I made was kind of interesting because you have to take into account, like James was saying earlier, that there are a bunch of people in this tournament who don't play Legacy regularly, right? And if you're just some grinder, like someone writing an article for SCG or someone who's usually a modern player or whatever, you know, someone who just bought this token novelty... There's going to be some people playing really stupid decks because they, they've they thought that they've had a broken Legacy deck for six months and just never put it together. But if, you, if you're a grinder taking this event seriously, what do you hop into, right? I read Joe Dyer's This Week in Legacy article, and he seemed to think that a lot of people would gravitate towards Hogak because it has a lot of modern... Uh, the modern counterpart was pretty similar, and people have played that before. Or big mana decks like Post because people are familiar with Tron. Good arguments, you know, Death Shadow, also a uh, very similar modern deck. But I think that, you know, a, lo- a lot of those people, when you see them in, like, the Sunday Challenges SCG, they just play Delver, right? Absolutely. I think North America and SCGs have a very strong Delver bias. Yeah, for sure. And this event, well, what time you're playing in the Saturday morning one, James? Yeah, I'm playing the one that's like inaccessible to anybody in North America. It's the one that starts at what is it midnight Pacific midnight time on Pacific. Friday? Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's that's like the only one I. C- I'm glad they're doing that, but it's yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, that's the one I'm doing. Gotcha. So yeah, I I think that maybe that event would have less Delver because of what you said, James. Like the North American Delver bias. It's definitely real. But that's something to consider, I guess, if you're thinking about what time zone you want to enter. But I put together this list, and I'll just read it off real quick. I have the Delver macro archetype at 20% of the meta. Snow control decks, you know, any any of the four-color permutations, what people call miracles now. Basically, Ice Fang, Coatle, and Oko decks, uh, 15%. Omni and Show and Tell decks at 10%. Thalia macro archetype at 10% as well. I think just by the nature of the event, like we'd always see a lot of people show up at, at Eternal Weekend with Thalia decks, something we talked about before. It kind of draws a different crowd than an SCG typically would. And people just like playing their creature decks. And I, I think Death and Taxes is actually pretty good right now in Maverick also. The only reason I'm not going to consider them is because those are the only decks I've ever timed out playing, like with the, the ports and the vials and everything. You can't really... Uh, past priority a whole lot you can't really f6 ever and mother of runes too is another nightmare so i don't want to just risk you know timing out one of my rounds but then depths at 7.5 and hogak at 7.5 percent and then elves lands test doomsday eldrazi and other vile decks i have at five percent each so what do you guys think about that so when you give the percentages here ian are you referring to your predictions for the distribution not it's not like a winner's meta game 
or like, you know, I think that this will be, you know, how what percentage the deck top eights at. Just the likelihood of playing against it round one. Oh, I think Delver's gotcha. probably going to be higher than 20%. Yeah. Like, uh, what, 25, 30, you think? I think that it, it would definitely be pushing pushing those numbers. Um, and I think that maybe like Doomsday, some of the stuff at the bottom, I, I don't I don't think those um, those numbers are going to be as high. Like, I, I, I don't see a straight 1 in 20 um, entrance playing Doomsday. I think that number is going to be much lower, even though Doomsday has been performing at a high level. I don't think that's a deck that like draws a bunch of new people in if you're going to have a if you're going to have an event like that yeah for sure and also there's no other basket so these numbers are probably about 20 percent too high because there's gonna be people playing other decks but yeah i i do i do agree that does seem like a lot of doomsday decks now that i'm thinking about it but doomsday did incredibly well on sunday man there was three entries or three in the top eight or top 32 of the challenge and two were in the top eight, and actually, I believe Ethan won with Doomsday. Yeah, I thought that I saw that on Twitter. He crushed it. Yeah, yeah for Do- sure. Do- Doomsday and uh, Epic Storm and Lands, these are decks that are just incredible in the hands of the right pilot, but I don't feel as if it's something that a newer legacy player can just pick up and do decent with. So, you know, for... Uh, yeah, I, I agree with Tom. I think there's going to be more Delver. Like, basically, the percentages you have for these other decks are going to shift into Delver. And I also think that Death and Taxes will probably be lower than we expect. Like, you you know, uh, I guess you have it here as a Thalia deck. I'm guessing that includes Esper Vile and, uh, you know, Maverick and things like that, too. But I would expect Death and Taxes to be lower just because now availability is not an issue. And, you know, that's... Despite being hard to play, I think Death and Taxes historically has been a, a deck that people play for budget reasons in, in tournaments. So, Yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't really considered that. There, there are people who would play Death and Taxes who maybe now, even if they just switch to Maverick or, uh, you know, like a, a more expensive, like the Esper Vile deck, like you were talking about, like a more expensive deck in the same vein that they couldn't necessarily maybe afford the, the Tundras or something. That's a really good point that I hadn't actually considered at all. Uh, so yeah, and, I, I also want to I also want to ask you guys about snow because I don't know if you guys have been talking about it in past episodes. If you have, I apologize, or you know, listen to some of the the discourse out there. But it there's this sort of perception that snow is not as good now, and that people are playing it less, and that's sort of been my personal experience playing leagues uh but i don't know how you guys feel about snow and in terms of its uh viability sorry if i'm jumping ahead here no no that was actually going to be my question too is whether you thought the 15 percent snow was accurate uh i think that every time i play a league and i've only played one league this week and probably five leagues this month but i play against snow way more than is represented in the metagame. So I've I've always felt like, you know, maybe it's just the luck of my pairings. I don't have that large of a sample size where I can I can say there's, you know, this many people playing snow, but it seems like there are a ton of people online who just like to play the deck. Like all the all the disenfranchised miracle players and everything like that, right? Yeah, and the explanation I heard for for 
the slight decline of snow has just been that people have figured out how to pilot Delver better, you know, with cards like Clothies and cards that are good against snow and also the rise of faster combo decks like Epic Storm. And uh, those were sort of the explanations that I heard, but I don't know how you guys feel about that. Like it just, there's this general perception that snow is great again in the hands of masterful players, but it, it's like you have to work hard to get your wins and it's something that new players may be churned off by, you know? Yeah, yeah in bigger events, I've always had the philosophy that I like, I want to be able to play a deck that can pick up some easy wins and I sort of have shied away from playing decks like that, especially if you're going to play eight, nine, ten rounds or however, however, however much of this event is going to be. I definitely would co-sign that. Like, I'm not considering playing it. I, I don't really like to play a style <laughs> that much, but bless you. I think that p- there's so many powerful cards in the deck, right? And we talked about the card availability issue. You know, now people can just put four Uros and three Okos and whatever else expensive cards in their deck. And, you know, maybe these modern players that are coming over are like, why wouldn't I play this pile of absurd 2019 cards, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I've, I've spoken to players as well and obviously I have, we all have our biases, but you know, I, 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 there's a player locally who tried to pick up snow and just went back to other stuff. He was actually asking me for my blue red Delver list because nice. his, his argument is just that, you know, even when I'm winning with a deck, I don't feel like I have agency. Like it just feels like I'm just jamming these cards. It's almost like you're playing the deck. I'm going to get hate mail for this, but you're, you're going to, you're just playing the deck uh on autopilot like it's almost like one of those ipad games where you just like you just let it run and it just it just like builds and builds you see like the pieces moving like okay can i can i fetch my basic lands astrolabe uh play this thing on turn three place thing on turn four make sure i hit all my land drops if i do like i kind of just win like so it depends on your play style too like if you're into that no offense to anybody out there even though i probably have offended people but uh you know it's it's Depends on what you're looking for when you play the the format, is what I'm saying. No, that's definitely how I feel as well, and why I don't really enjoy playing the deck a whole lot. But of all the decks in the tournament, I mean, you could you can make a case that you know Prison is control, or that Death and Taxes, or or Esper Vile are are more controlly decks. But that that's more like a role assessment control sort of thing. You know, when you look at the psychographics of players in general. There's a certain segment of constructed players that are just control players, right? And this is the only control deck you can really choose from in this list, you know, like a pure control, blue control deck. So I think that your bottom is, is has to be at least 10% just because those players who only like playing control are just going to play this deck. Yeah, I agree so with that, that. That's my case, I guess, for putting it at 15, but... It'll be interesting, man. I mean, there's going to be a lot of players who don't have as much experience who are just coming in, and it'll be interesting to see what they pick up, you know? The, the last thing I want to ask about this tier list is, uh, Ian, when you were making this list, did you consider at all, I guess it's maybe like another other category, but just it's just sort of like the glass cannon decks, like Oops All Spells and... Belcher and to a lesser extent maybe Black Red Reanimator because I feel like decks like that 
are always around. Reanimator's kind of dropped off the face of the planet, but I can still see it being fairly viable for people that just want to jam without a lot of experience and just want to win coin flips, that kind of thing. Yeah, no, for sure. I actually had, this was a little more detailed before and I sort of simplified it, but I had Dredge grouped in with Hogak and I had, this is, everyone's going to hate this, but I had Black Red grouped in with Depths before. It's just because of like how I approach the matchup. I've always sort of grouped those two together. But yeah, no, I, I know what you're saying and I definitely would not be shocked to run into a Black Red. I forgot about Oops, honestly, and I feel like that does deserve a mention here like a 2.5 or something it's like the new hotness right yeah there's also the i i I swear i'm not trying to nitpick this list because i think the general strokes are (laughs) the broad strokes are all there but how do you guys feel about the ninjas list you know uh is that a thing or is it like a flash in the pan or or what because you guys have been looking at lists you know every week and and things like that. Do you do you assess that to be a real thing or not? Well, I don't think it's a real thing. I mean, obviously, people can play it and like do well with it in leagues. It's popped up in challenges a bunch. But every time I see a ninjas list, I just think like, oh, that's cute. Not not oh wow, ninjas is really powerful. It's just like when you see a list like that do well, you're like, okay, this guy drew or this this player drew extremely well. Um, but that, at least that's how I, I feel about ninjas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to borrow a phrase from the Canadian prairies, I think the deck might be all hat and no cattle. <laughs> <laughs> but no, seriously, like uh, I, when I, I think about in, that, that ninjas deck in the same grouping as Infect and Death Shadow, in my opinion, I, I don't think that any of them are any better or worse than the others. Uh, they they all require the same sort of answers and i i don't know know. i feel like a deck that revolves around like ornithopter and changeling outcast is definitely like not (laughs) as good as the other ones that you mentioned i just i don't know yeah i've I've had my ass handed to me by those sorts of decks but i you know it could be just sample size too right no, I have too. I mean, I've definitely lost to the deck before online, but you know, the problem with playing any black mid-range deck right now is Veil of Summer, right? Like it is what it is. Like it, you know, with Death Shadow and the, the Ninja decks, if you're going to rely on like proactive black disruption, you're going to end up playing into Veil and it's just not a good time to do that. Yeah, I think the um like the sort of modern versions of the list are just playing Fatal Push. Uh, and obviously you have like your blue counter magic that gets screwed by that, but you're not you're not playing like Thoughtseize and the Ninja's deck or anything like that. Okay. Yeah. Why? Do you think that that's a real deck, James? You know, it's always there on the fringes. I wouldn't be surprised to see the deck top 32 or do something in one of the events. But to me, and this is speaking very pragmatically, like I know people have different reasons to play Legacy, but it almost always feels to me like decks like that, like, you know, as you said, Ninjas and Infect are sort of like subcategories within an existing archetype. So it's just sort of like the opportunity cost, right? Like if I'm going to be running that, why don't I just run Arcanist and Delver? Like if I'm going to be playing Infect and trying to like invigorate, why don't I just uh, kill you with Oko? So obviously people all have different reasons and ways they want to win but i just feel like 
there's just yeah it's it's so i i largely agree with you guys i that's that's like my very, my very long-winded way of saying it yeah yeah no it's interesting man it, it's it's a good deck and you know maybe someone will crack top 32 with it but it's not something i would be thinking about actively but i know what you're saying man sometimes they start with an ornithopter and just drop a ninja on turn two and the game's just over so kind of is what it is one thing that i was looking for and i didn't really see is like a recent esper vial list like a post skyclave apparition list like a jtl list or something like what the best build of vial is now with skyclave apparition because that card has outperformed what we thought it would do by a mile everybody always wants to play with new cards and esper vial was a extremely real deck you know before skyclave apparition so I really want to see that list and have a, a solid sideboard plan against that list going into this tournament. Yeah, yeah Esper Vile is a real thing. Yeah, I think Skyclave Apparition is probably the reason why I agree more with your uh, Thalia percentage than James did. Um, because I think that card is for real. And obviously, like, I didn't, I wasn't super excited about it on the cast. <laughs> yeah, we, we trashed that fucking yeah. card. Yeah, well, not really trash it. I just said, like, I don't think you want to cut Flicker Wisp for it, and you have a lot of threes. And Death Attack now is playing like Flicker Wisp and Recruiter and three of those, and uh, it it's good enough that it just completely changed the curve of the deck. And uh, yeah, I, I didn't I didn't see that happening. I yeah. did not. Definitely not. What do you think, James, from your perspective? Because Death and Taxes is historically favored against delver do you think that the version that that is being played right now has a good rug delver matchup you know i think it's largely the same you know i've just from playing online my experience has been that death and taxes is actually a pretty tough matchup as you alluded to because if you play against players who know what they're doing they always seem to have uh prelate they always seem to have uh ways to lock you up like they, they, they try not to play into your sweepers. Um, I face Apparition once or twice, and I have found it to be pretty solid, although it doesn't really swing the entire matchup in my experience. So it's sort of like, I don't know how to quantify it, but it, it feels like maybe Death and Taxes has a 5 to 10% edge in a certain game. I'm not even saying in a match, but in a certain game where they see it, uh, sure. I mean, it, it, it does something. I, you know, I had a game where they, they exiled um, Oko, and then they I was playing Rug Delver, and then they they uh, flashed it back with uh, Flicker Wisp, and then they exiled my Sylvan Library. And Ooh. I still won that game, but, you know, it's just like, yeah, it's more value, right? Uh, so, brags. yeah, humble brags. Uh, you know, so it, it, it has its use, but and it's nice that it's not one toughness. But I, I'm, I'm just not seeing it totally make the deck any different than it was. Like the whole, the whole death and taxes thing, as you guys know, is really just like, do I have Aethervile? If I, if I do, I win. If I don't, I lose. Right. So, um, right. I don't, I don't think that really changes that equation too much. I think okay. with the introduction of more free counter magic in the Delver shell, like traditionally, you could have said way back in the day, death and taxes had a slight edge over Rug Delver, but now the your result your vial actually resolving on turn one in sideboarded games just seems like it just seems like it doesn't happen 
Yeah, the, the, the matchup just comes down to attrition because I think game one can be anyone's game. But when Death and Taxes brings in a ton of like Path to Exiles and removal, then it's sort of like, can they outdraw you? And I think most of the time as a blue deck, you feel pretty confident about your, your chances. Uh, also, having said all that, I recently went back to um, Ancient Grudge in the sideboard of Rock Delver just because I wanted to yeah. get that extra value, you know. And it was good against it's good against many many decks in the format. And so I, I don't feel bad about my chances against uh, Death and Taxes. Although, um, you know, if you're Death and Taxes as a player, you should definitely run Apparition. But I don't know if it makes anybody be like, oh, I should run Death and Taxes now. Whereas before they might think it's it's bad, you know. Yeah, for sure. The other matchup I wanted to specifically ask you about from the Rug Delver seat is is Omni, like the blue green Omni. I know that people are still playing show and like sneak and show, but the blue green deck is the one that I've always feared because it seems like just a Delver killer to me. Is is that your experience? Like how how bad is that matchup really? Yeah, the 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 matchup feels 50-50. Like I would really? say that in the past it it maybe was like better for Delver. But I'll tell you two reasons why, or two cards. Um, one of them is Carpet of Flowers. Like I, I've been seeing um, Blue Green Omni play more Carpet of Flowers, uh, yeah. and that has been challenging to say the least. Um, the other thing that I've seen them do is like try to do more of a a grind plan. So they might play one yeah. or two Euro- euros because it's just like. You you have to account that. So basically, if you're if you're a player and you see them play green, you know obviously they're going to have veil, they're going to have um, the the coado, but you also have to expect that uh, you know you might actually bring in one surgical, or you where, whereas previously you didn't uh, you didn't really care about that. So um, I think it's very like pilot dependent, but I would say that the matchup went from more favorable f- for Delver to less favorable over time yeah yeah i i mean i just i've lost so many games against that blue green deck i i definitely i don't know if this is true or not but i i believe that i've lost more percentage of games to that deck than any other when i was playing uh rug delver online because there's there's besage you there's so many ways that they can invalidate your plan there's like the multiple collateral draws where they just brick your delvers and they're, they're playing this long game like you alluded to and then they get a drawn in dreams and the game they bury you in cards there's the you know cheap besage you turn two omni there, there you just have to defend against so many angles and maybe my games are just aren't lining up correctly but i felt like it was a particularly bad matchup but you've obviously played more recently and and more games than i have so I'll, I'll take your your advice on it that it's not I, I mean it's it's anecdotal I'm not uh, the right, expert right. by far but I would also turn that around and say like uh, I think Omni is a great choice for EW too I, I think yeah. uh, you know if you just want to play blue green and jam that um, that's great there's a there's a blue white list floating around shout out to my boy Nathan uh, Lippitz who's been playing like Teferi and Omni and oh, Plowshares in the sideboard and you could even add Mentor if you wanted to. Like that seems fun and there's no card availability issues. So if you want to you want to do that, like basically drop Teferi and then the following turn drop Show and Tell, like that also works, you know? So I think Omni builds are 
or just sneak and show like just straight up sneak and show with Boseju. I think these are all really fine choices if you just want to jam. Tom, go back to the part where James recommended that people play Blue Green Omni and just cut all that from the episode, please. No, that's absolutely we don't need, staying in there. We don't need any more Blue Green Omni players. <laughs> absolutely. Just I fucking hate, all over, I hate playing. All I know I'm going to play against that deck five times. Yeah. Ugh. So I hate that matchup. Maybe I should just play the fucking deck. I, I talk about it so much. Like I, I'm always recommending people play it just you know to win. I should just it's probably, probably there's probably a great like movie quote in here about like becoming the enemy that you hate or something like that. Yeah, I haven't seen Star Wars, so I don't know. <clears throat> no, you have. I don't tell Pat, but I couldn't actually <laughs> make I couldn't actually make it through number six, the the third movie where they find the koalas in the forest. It it was just like all right, Return of the movies. Jedi. Return of the Jedi. You couldn't finish watching Return of the Jedi? No, I, I have like 30 minutes left. <sighs> wow, just walked out of the theater or the, the computer screen, huh? Yeah, I tried like three times to get through it, man. It's just like enough already. I don't know. I think you maybe you have to be like introduced to it when you still have some innocence in your heart, some sort of like childish suspension of disbelief or it's like your language development skills your your ability to appreciate star wars diminishes when you can no longer learn a second language easily yeah like i feel like when i'm watching it i feel like it's an academic pursuit like i like i'm like okay Mm -hmm. so this event happened and that like i'm taking notes you know what i mean like uh i just want to prove that i watched it and be able to understand (laughs) understand when people talk now i have a visual of you with a notepad like watching star wars well, that's kind yeah, of how it feels. Return of the Jedi is not the movie to uh, to write down the point by point interactions of the of the characters for sure. Like I'm just not emotionally invested in it. I guess it's not like you know, like boys or something where I actually care. Yeah, what's it? What's it going to take you to watch the Harry Potter series? No, Are we going to have to do like there's... a like a Harry Potter episode where you watch the Harry Potter movies before <laughs> Call Time comes out? Or not I'm Kalheim, not, uh, before Strix, Strixhaven? No. Bro, you I'm haven't not, watched Harry Potter? What's up with that? You've like, watched are you, Harry Potter? Are you, even a, are you even a citizen of the world? Like, who has not watched Harry Potter? I cannot believe that either of you have watched... Well, I can actually believe Tom has watched it because of Alyssa. But you've watched Harry Potter, James? I have a wife, too. I have a, a, and previously a girlfriend. <laughs> wow. Yeah, no, my yeah. wife definitely would never watch Harry Potter. I don't know. I, I guess uh I guess maybe well, you, it's a higher percentage of people than I she's, thought. She's she's a keeper. She's a keeper, I'll just say that. <laughs> Do you enjoy Harry Potter, James? I really enjoyed the dark one, the the prisoner of Azkaban, the one that one movie. The other ones I thought were pretty bad, but I, I really liked that one where Harry actually just went emo and angry and like Gary Oldman was in it. So uh, I like that one. The other ones are pretty bad, but I know what you mean about like going back and watching old stuff. It's like how I feel about uh, trying to get into like middle school or in, 94 magic that's one of those perfect lame perfect. lame magic formats where it's just oh, like I, i'm playing with 2020 cards bro like why why are you asking me to play with this crappy crap from you know 1993 like i was you know i was i was 10 back then 
I should have expected this. I fucking should have expected. You just this. set it up for You're me. You're still like mad alley. about the NBA. You're still mad that I called the NBA a bad product. I mean, <laughs> when you guys, I, I I'm not gonna lie. When you guys mentioned James White, I had to Google who that was because, like, what is this sport? Like, <laughs> oh, it's the the sport that draws twice the uh, viewers that the NBA Finals does for normal Sunday night game. Yeah, yeah something that's, like that. That's football. Something like that. But no, seriously though, I think the middle school example was was perfect. You just nailed it, James. I don't play that format, middle school. You know, people always talk about how great it is or whatever. First of all, brainstorm and force of will are banned. So it's like the the direction that I immediately start going, I can't go. And also I don't have any nostalgia because those are the years I didn't play. So like while I enjoy playing old school because I that was what I played with my friends when I first started playing. I don't have any nostalgia for middle school and any any memories that I built now would just be these adult memories that suck, right? Like adult uh, yeah. adult life sucks. So like I, I have no desire to play that format. So that's well, exactly I, I don't, I, right. I mean, I'm not, I'm not into old school either. I just use middle school to use an, an example that would not offend you, but uh, point taken. I know, but I, I, I'm just saying, I, I think you happen to stumble on a very apt metaphor there. So we just start talking about old school band. Yeah. <laughs> but no, overall, though, the, the meta, you know, from our last serious examination of the meta, it hasn't changed a whole lot. You know, like our last update would have been Uro and Akoria and uh, whatever this new set, Zendikar 3, is called. Skyclave Apparition seems like the only card that's really shaking anything up. Like, you know, maybe you'll see an Omnath out of four color, five color control. Lands might have Valakut Exploration in it. Obviously, Oops is a deck, but it's not, like, going to show up a whole lot. So, basically, we're talking about, you know, the the same old meta, right? Yeah, I think so. I I think so, but I'll just add that I I do believe Valakut Exploration to be a real card for lands. Uh, It's always coming down to opportunity costs. Like, you know, should I be running this or can I just win in an easier way? Like just, just like how lands has experimented with pun intended experimental frenzy in the past. Like, I feel like this card is, uh, is legit. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if people are going to be rest in piecing you, it's, uh, it's pretty nice to have a, a win condition that doesn't care about that. Right. It's, it's like a, when we first saw it show up, it was kind of like, a novelty we we didn't really take it seriously but then upon further examination i think that you know splitting it with sylvan library is a pretty good call yeah for sure so yeah like we talked about before we've seen like some of the chalkiest challenges this weekend specifically uh that that we've seen recently which is pretty cool because like people are taking it seriously you know like the the challenge has sort of become like a a, a deck dump in in past weeks and this particular challenge, Saturday particularly, the top eight was rug, two Rug Delvers, two Snowcos, Hogak, Black Red Reanimator, Death and Taxes, and another Snowco. So three Snowcos, two Rug Delvers, Hogak, Black Red, Death and Taxes. That's chalk, man. That's straight fucking chalk. And the 32 had eight Rug Delvers and six Snowcos total. So, yeah. I, I think that that's a pretty good sampling. And like we talked about on Sunday, there were two doomsday decks in the top eight with hogak 
uh, two Omni decks. One of them had Shark in it and two Rug Delvers. So, uh, so overall, ton of Rug Delver, ton of Snowco, Omni, Day, Death and Taxes, that sort of thing. Hogak. Just chalk. It's just everybody getting ready. So James, yeah, you added just... you added to the show notes the problem with AOC. What what are you insinuating that there's a problem with AOC? Oh, was that was that James that added that? I just like I thought that uh, that y- you put that there to to get some baiting comments, and I was like, listen, let's just cut. What? Let's the? just stop it right <laughs> what here. You think I have a problem with AOC, bro? No, I'm just I don't know. I mean, Tom, I, I want to know how you feel because you've been like, you know, you haven't you haven't he said too much so far this podcast. Yeah. So we should just jump to that. Jump to the. We don't right we now. don't need to talk about my feelings about President Trump. Uh, I already voted. I don't need to spout off. How about many times? Anything. Hopefully, it's over <laughs> in a month, and uh, and we're okay. You guys, you guys can talk, and I'll silently judge you. Um, and then the Discord and Twitter will come to my defense. I, I thought this was gonna be. I thought this was gonna be the episode where TDF pivots into something extraordinary. <laughs> we haven't found the voice modulators yet that we need, right? That's uh, that's that's, that's like the long term plan. That's the long term play. But James, since you're here, there's a question that I want to ask. What do you think makes LeBron James so uniquely dislikable? Oh, Ooh, that's so a loaded question. To say about this. Tom, why don't you start? Why don't don't you start, Tom? One was the fucking decision. Yeah. The broadcast special on ESPN where he decided to take his hometown and completely fucking leave it in the dumps to go to Miami to win a championship. Then have the fucking nuts to go back and try to be the savior and then fucking leave again. Not take his team that he was drafted at and build it up to, to, to... be the best that he could be on that team, but to join up and have the easy road with playing with a bunch of other superstars that ended up getting recruited by his fucking agent. Not to mention, his mental toughness is just fucking awful. People were talking about LeBron being the GOAT, and you look at, like, how he behaves in a fucking game, and you compare that mentality to the way that Jordan played, like, get the fuck out of here. Anyway, fuck LeBron. So you see, like, a lot of people say that, like, racism plays a part in it. Like, I've heard people say that. And maybe for some people that's true. I don't know. But, like, me personally looking at, you know, the the NBA, which I don't follow the NBA as closely as someone like James or or even Tom. But, like, I loved Jordan. I loved Kobe, you know. I Mm -hmm. It's not like some sort of racial thing. There's something about LeBron James specifically that – is just so uh i don't know help me out james like what is it what what your your namesake yeah i mean it's kind of uh i mean it's like the things that tom said you know so here's the thing right as a sports fan you have to come to jesus with yourself okay maybe bad term here but you have to reconcile with yourself do i care about the off-course stuff or no and just be consistent with it right if you care about the narratives, you care about the narratives. If you don't care, you don't care. So you can evaluate James, LeBron James, as completely all the things he's done off court, which is not great. I, I'm, I'm with Tom on this. Or you can just look at, you know, 
what are they doing on the court? So I personally feel like what they do on the court or the latter category is more important than what they do off the court. So I think Tom's criticism that James might not be as tough as Michael Jordan or some other players or like shrinks in big games or various criticism of him on the court, like to me, that is like a valid criticism. But the stuff that they do like off the court or he does, it's just sort of like a sign of the times. Like if you think about this sort of thing as like LeBron James is a master politician, he assembles the right team. He, he game theories to try to like get to the finals every year. Like I think nine out of the 10 last seasons he's made the finals or whatever. Um, I think that's just like part of the game. Like, you know, uh, so I, I, I don't put as much, uh, dislike into James because of that but I can see how people do that and I also think you have to uh, normalize this criticism by the fact that when Michael Jordan was around there was no Twitter like can you imagine if you know in the 90s there actually was social media and stuff like that like like LeBron James is just trying to operate uh, within the world that he's in and maximizing within the world he's in and there's no way to remove that from the equation so if that makes me a LeBron, LeBron James apologist, so be it. But that, that's that's how I feel about everything. Like, if I judge him just by what he does on the court, which I do, he's one of the greatest ever. Well, I got to fight back on that, the Twitter thing. I don't think that Kobe or Michael Jordan would have – I mean, maybe they would have Twitter accounts. Like, uh, maybe they, they do or did. Like, uh, you know, before Kobe passed away, rest in peace, but – uh, I don't think that they would be tweeting regularly. Like, I don't think that they would get their their heads in in that because they're kind of above it, right? Like, it, but but it, it's not. It's it's less about that, Ian. It's more about how Twitter changes your perception of players and events. Okay, well, yeah, that's something else too. Yes, I agree yeah. with that. Like, but, if Twitter was around when Michael Jordan punched Steve Kerr, like, imagine, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. people would try to get Michael Jordan canceled. Like yeah, if, if Twitter was like as, that, the NBA in the world wasn't as soft as it is now. Back <laughs> then, true. this is like the softest NBA period. You look at like '80s and '90s basketball, where people were like legitimately angry at each other and getting into fights on the court. And you bring like LeBron into that, LeBron would flop. You put LeBron in like in a matchup against the '80s Pistons, yeah, just, and he would just get taken out. He'd start to cry like. Get yeah. the fuck out of here with that. I'd love but, to see but, here, him. but here's here's the thing, right, Tom? There's two things about what you just said. One is uh, that's like the environment that was cultivated by David Stern and Adam Silver in the NBA. Like the game got progressively softer over time because the NBA wanted to make a better product. You can't put that on any specific player. And James is just maximizing what he does based on a world where you can't hand check anymore. And secondly, survivorship bias. Like... Sure, you could say that LeBron wouldn't have lasted uh, in that era, but then if the game was officiated differently today, then another different LeBron would have come out, and we'd be hating that different person. Like, oh so no, I think I, if a different different LeBron came out where he actually like bodied people instead of being a being a monster and settling for thirty foot jumpers because he he doesn't want to use his body to be able to preserve himself and he wants to be able to take the pressure off himself by signing with with two or three all-stars each each season and every time his contract is up fans know that he's just going to leave to the next best thing 
I think those are all legitimate reasons to not like LeBron, even though he's skilled. Because you could say, listen, he has all these gifts, and his mentality is just so soft that he could have done so much more with them. So yeah, he made it to the finals, but he won, what, like four out of ten? He just, you can say that, oh, he's the GOAT, but he just doesn't seem like a winner to me. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah, yeah I, that, that's I, my rant. I, but, 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 but hey, LeBron James to me is Machiavellian, right? The end justifies the means. So I but then know. Do, do better I, than 40%. I, like, hey, but, you know, <laughs> you miss all the shots you don't take, right? So <laughs> it's like, it's like how, how do I put this, Tom? Like, if the end justifies the means, and I'm not saying that we all have to agree with that as sports fans. That's the great thing about sports is that we all have different axes to evaluate something, right? And I'm not trying to say that anybody's wrong. I could be wrong. But um, at the end of the day, like 50 years later, people are not going to be like, oh, there's an asterisk with that championship or something like that. At the end of the day, it'll be like, did he win titles? Uh, was he the greatest of his generation? Um, I would say that's yes. So that's that's like... Looking ahead, I, I, I think agree. That, it's just like you look at a magic. Generation. You look at a magic PT top eight. You of don't say that John Finkel. You don't say like, oh, but John Finkel won that PT because like this other guy cheated or like the field was softer back then. I'm yeah, sure people do say that, but but for the most part, history remembers just who is winning and who won. And at the end of the day, LeBron James winning forty percent of his finals doesn't matter so much as absolute number of titles. And we don't even use number of titles as the, as the true barometer of greatness, right? So, I, I mean, Jordan didn't have the most titles ever. So, it, it, it's, it's, it, there's all these different things that make it, like, less of a slam dunk to be like, LeBron James sucks <laughs> than, so than people you said, say. You said something I agreed with. You said, LeBron James is the greatest of this generation. I think, great. I agree with that. But do you think he's, he's like, the best I, I would have to say there's a very there's a strong case for that, and it's just because, again, it goes back to like how are you evaluating, right? Because I feel like the reason why people can say Jordan is the greatest ever is because not because he won the most titles, but because of his cultural impact, plus his relative dominance in his era, right? So he was playing in an era where he dominated, despite there being Carl Malone, John Stockton despite there being top-tier teams that were basically just, like, trying to hurt him every night. So going back to what you said, Tom, like, like, yeah, so I do agree. Like, if you have criticisms of LeBron James as being soft or doing it in a certain way that you don't like, I think that's absolutely a criteria to say that he's not the GOAT. But to me, like, Michael Jordan is still the greatest because of dominance and cultural impact. Uh, and, and, but I think LeBron James is close in that. Okay, I, I can get behind that. I just like I, I was waiting for you to say that you thought LeBron was the greatest of all. No, time no, no. I'm just I'm, I'm a LeBron apologist, but I but I okay. also I, I'm also a pragmatist. Like I I I, I try to uh, cover my own ass in terms of my cognitive dissonance. I know I have biases, and I know this is this <laughs> this discussion's gone on long enough, and you've you've like let out the floodgates with having James talk about the NBA. But uh, here we are. So. It, I was just, better, it was better than the other two things that were on the, uh, the yeah. end, put in the agenda at the end. I didn't put them there. I don't know who did. Uh, I guess James, if you're asking. You're the guy I did it. But, I think somebody hacked into this Google Doc. 
I would love to see LeBron play one series or, or maybe two series against Barkley and Oakley and all those players from the from the nineties that were D and up Jordan and No, he would been, destroy them. He would destroy been the, them. The but, late nineties yeah. Pistons. Yeah, the, yeah, the Pistons. You know, er, put him sorry, up against uh, Rodman. Early, early 90s, late early, 80s yeah, Pistons. Yeah, put yeah. him up against Rodman. Put him up against Oakley for a game. You know, not with this this ref bullshit and see what happens, you know? I I think that maybe there's a chance that that Crucible, you know, proves that LeBron James is just Michael Jordan, but that's not my impression. LeBron James is Brainstorm. That's all I have to say about that. Ah. <sighs> <sighs> Not Tim Donahue? Sure. And Michael Jordan could be like, you know, Tundra, but LeBron James is Brainstorm. He's a pillar of the format. All right, cut that, Tom. Brainstorm. No, we have to leave that in. You right. said it. Well, you compared him to uh, Machiavelli, the prince, right? I, I have another book in mind, which is uh, David Foster Wallace's Infinite Jest. So I just want to get the last word. James, if people want to find you on Twitter, how can they do that? Uh, the usual James underscore HSU is where I can be found uh, saying stupid things on Twitter. What do you have, bro? What, do you, what are you promoting? You got a book? You got Cardboard Live? You got uh, podcast episodes? What, what do you want to push? You know, just Twitter is good. Uh, Cardboard Live, we're having a lot of fun, still building out stuff, supporting uh, magic events. Uh, we're also getting into other types of content that are that's not magic related. So definitely follow the uh, Cardboard Live Twitter if you can. Just Cardboard Live, one word. Uh, that would be awesome. Rock and roll. Well, at Ian18125, deadformatcast at gmail.com. If you have any guest suggestions, we, we appreciate them all. Tom, what do you got? Uh, you can find me on Twitter, still recovering from the rant about LeBron James at TSWMTG. <laughs> and you can follow the cast at Dead Format Cast. All right, James, thank you so much for coming on, man. This was awesome. Uh, we really appreciate having you as a guest and appreciate our listeners for recommending this episode. And I, I take your your accusation that Americans can't play in the 3 a.m. event as a challenge. So I'll see you there. Sweet. All right, that's a wrap.